Buongiorno and welcome to the Global Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest trends and insights on diplomacy in international development. I'm your host, Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Techum Global Consultancy, based here in London, which produces this series. In this podcast, I sit down with thought leaders, diplomats, and experts on the field, as well as provide analysis from our own team at Pax to talk more about the need for diplomacy in international development in order to foster political will around greater social impact and good. So grab your headphones and let's get on with the show. Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Global Podcast. Now, I know it's been a while since we last spoke, and as you recall, we were due to launch our new season on China, particularly around diplomacy and international development. But sadly, the majority of the audio became lost, and due to commitments from our own end with work increasing at Pax Techum Global, which sponsors this podcast, it became impossible to continue with. And we kind of left you hanging with the one episode we did with our own China political consultant, Su Yunwu. So, new year, new podcast. This year, we'll be posting a little bit less frequently. Once a month, more likely. But not go off the radar as we've done recently. And we know that we've been guilty for this. So, apologies. We've thought of you often during our pause. So, that's why we're back. We're still dedicated to give you the best on what's going on in both diplomacy and international development for businesses, social entrepreneurs, governments, and also NGOs alike. Each episode will be more focused on key topics to give you food for thoughts in that particular month around current issues and how they can affect diplomacy and global development. With this new year, there are clearly going to be new trends to watch out for. That's why on this episode, we're presenting you with what to watch out for in 2022. Now, it can be a bit cliched, as outlets from the likes of The Economist to The Financial Times all hark their own top few to watch out for, especially Ian Bremmer of the infamous Eurasia Group, who really kicked off the trend. But ours is much more casual. No predictions, but more on events to pay attention and have a special eye on, given the potential influence they can have in both the coming months and even the years in our lives. And to keep it short and simple, we have a total of three that we feel are really worthwhile on following. The first may not be in your own radar, but is something to watch out. It's going to be the presidency of the newly elected president of Chile, Gabriel Boric. Now, this sounds extremely random, but please bear with me. Chile, which finds itself in the south of the Cono Sur, or the southern cone of South America, saw itself in the battle of its soul in this recent election with Boric, a millennial and member of the left-winged party Aprueba Dignidad, or I Approve Dignity, against José Antonio Cast, who was, and this is without exaggerating, an actual Nazi sympathizer, a far-right hardliner whose parents were former Nazi members that escaped Germany to Chile and ingrained a very fascist view on the candidate. Not to mention that he also has the brother, who was a former advisor to the former Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet. So an extreme character here. While neither candidate was popular in Chile, Boric's win was considered to be a sign of real relief, considering the extreme dynamics between the two. This is important given that Chile 
has been undergoing decades of social economic dynamic and upheaval, as well as a dynamic that consists of low wages, high levels of debt, and underfunded public health and education systems, which continue to leave people quite hopeless in regards to the direction of the country. But what makes the presidency worth watching is that Boric's win is the second for a millennial to win a democratic election and rule a country. The first being Bukele of El Salvador. In theory, Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia is also a millennial, but there is a difference from the kingdom and the democratic elections that have recently taken place. This is the second time for Latin America electing a millennial leader. So Latin America appears to be paving the way for the first test run for millennial presidents and heads of states. This will be an interesting examination to see what difference millennials can play in comparison to previous generations. Millennials, and those are those born between the years of 1982 to 1994, have the reputation of growing up before digital transformation and as a result of its introduction into our lives. They have been more vocal against the status quo due to living under recessions, few job opportunities, the promises of the previous generation on go to university and a stable job, which seems a little bit less than likely, as well as the threat of climate change. According to a Corn Ferry poll, 63% of millennials tend to be much more socially driven and value social value and are more conscious of human rights, gender equality, and a quality of life. It will be interesting to see, therefore, if this showcases itself in a millennial government leadership. We've seen tastes of it and seen how diverse it can be, from U.S. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the United States, with her championing of greater social change and transparency as she picks up the baton from veteran Bernie Sanders, to Sebastian Kurz of Austria, who turned out to be a far more right-winged and hyper-conservative, yet still had that millennial swag and charm to appeal his age group, even older generations as well. And so far, Borg seems to be active in fulfilling these promises that he's been making. He's determined to oversee the finalization of Chile's constitution and update it to remove the legacy that it bears from the previous dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet, who finalized the last version. He is determined to ensure LGBT rights are enshrined and promote a gender equality agenda, including changing the title of the first lady for his partner Irene to be one that is more up-to-date with modern feminism, as he's quoted saying. He is also looking to do other major reforms, which include shifting from a private pension system to a public one, pardoning student debt, increasing investment in education and public care, and creating a caregiving system that will relieve the burdens on women. He has even vowed to restore territory to indigenous communities and to support unrestricted access to abortion. It will definitely be worth observing, as Chile is a dynamic country, it is still conservative, it still considers itself to be traditionally Roman Catholic, but it is rising on a tide on tolerance and tradition, past and future. It's up to Boric to be in the middle, and it'll be interesting to see how these changes will come about in diplomacy and commitments to sustainability down the line. Speaking a little bit on the United States, coming to our second worthwhile view, it's actually going to be the United States, believe it or not, as it would be foolish not to mention monitoring the U.S. presidential candidates that will be coming up for the Republican Party in 2022. Now, I know what you could be thinking, but Joe Biden was just sworn last year. We're done with Donald Trump. Not necessarily. That may be the case, but Joe Biden has only four years until re-election, and usually the first term of a newly elected president 
tends to be much more focused on getting re-election in order to really make their mandates and their policies much more sacrosanct. That also hasn't stopped the Republican Party from grooming either Trump or Trump's actual heir apparent and finding a suitable candidate that can appease the Trumpsters and those far-right wingers who felt that Trump's voice was the new voice of the Republican Party. And this upcoming election matters, not because of whether Biden gets re-elected or Trump returns, it's a showcase on the influence of Trump, not just in the Republican Party, but strangely enough, on the Democratic Party as well. The right has been looking to win Trump's seal of approval, or at least have Trump endorse its actions in many endeavors. And this was apparent in the Republican National Convention that took place early last year. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is considered to be not just the Republican favorite, but the Trump favorite as well in the run. The Democratic Party instead has been mainly trying to promote how they are not like Trump in their communications and how they are more inclusive and progressive, yet oddly have retained the Trump policies from the past, from border controls with the U.S.-Mexico border to foreign policy, with isolationism becoming first priority in a time when global leadership, especially from the states, is needed now more than ever. Opinion polls within the United States for Joe Biden are sliding, with only 41%, according to a recent NPR poll, actually approving the work that he is doing in his current presidency. And as is evident, divisions in the United States remain high, whether from vaccinations to closures to immigration to LGBT rights to abortion. Tensions are rising within the country, and Joe Biden hasn't done much to unify the nation. It'll be an interesting watch as it would be a telltale sign of the change in the United States is going through. Now, while I've discussed that the fact that the United States is becoming divisive and the influence of Trump even on both parties, the real reason to watch this is because it would showcase as well how the U.S. is actually dethroning itself from its role as a global superpower without it even being aware. And this is worth following. The legacy of Trump with its isolationism is creeping up itself even with the libertarian and liberal thought that existed within the Democratic Party. It's riding in the waves of popularism and seeing it how it pans out with the candidates as well, including as it's panning out within the current Biden administration, is giving a real sign of this. Finally, it's Saudi Arabia. Now, Saudi Arabia has been the news either for its latest development with its Vision 2030 or the scandals coming from the Khashoggi case and the imprisonment of female rights advocates as well. But Saudi Arabia is worth watching as it tries to take a role in the world stage, and it's dabbing at pretty much everything. Late last year, as in December 2021, Saudi Arabia began initiatives to build its art scene and held a gala to attract not only arts from across the Middle East, but also look to establish Jeddah, its main city, as the new seat for art in the Middle East. Now, to be quite honest, as somebody who works predominantly in the Middle East and has particularly extensive experience there, it's not quite convincing and is a bit of a hard sell, given that Cairo and Beirut tend to be the cultural hubs, and even Dubai to some extent can even claim that title. But it's still worth seeing as Saudi Arabia tries to forge itself. Saudi Arabia is also trying to really become a leader within the world in regards to the events it's hosting and really trying to take a part in every single activity that it can. From hosting Formula 500, to concerts from Western artists, to looking at even opening and attracting greater tourism to the country from Western Europe and the United States, Saudi Arabia is trying to build an image and a face that it doesn't really recognize or understand yet. 
It's also trying to exert itself in a global world while also trying to maintain hegemony in the Middle East, especially in the Gulf, while also unable to hide from its own human rights discrepancies. At the same time, it has a young population that wants to be active in the world and also hungry to take part of it, which may clash with its values held from the past, while it also forges new values from the future, as it maintains as well its role and its image as a guardian of Islam. Despite all of this, the ambition of Saudi Arabia and its morphing to a nation coming into its own is really worth following, and it's interesting to see what direction it takes. This is going to be an exciting year, no matter how this pans out, and we hope that this year will be full of opportunity and excitement. Maybe not too much excitement because we've been a little bit too, let's say, excited over the past two years with the COVID pandemic and many other world affairs. But most importantly, we hope it will at least be stable, peaceful, and above all, sustainable in a positive way than the last few. Once again, Happy New Year's to all, and we're glad to have you back. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Global Podcast. I'm Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tecum Global Consultancy, which produces this series. Please do check out our website at www.paxtecumglobal.org. That's P-A-X-T-E-C-U-M-G-L-O-B-A-L.org to discover more about our work. You can also follow this podcast and the work of Pax on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you like this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and of course subscribe on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. Join us next week for another edition, and until next time, grazie e ci sentiamo presto. Ciao!